Good morning, everyone. How are we doing today? Good. Welcome to church. Good to see you all. Good to have you here. If you're watching online, welcome. I know my wife uh, is watching online. Uh, Dylan and his kids are watching online. I know Brian and Sherry McDowell are watching online. Welcome, guys. Anyone else who's watching online, good to have you guys. Um, guys, first, first I need to say, like, my wife is awesome. Like, she is such, like, she is a soldier, man. Like, she has been going on basically no sleep the last two days because my youngest son has been sick and he's only wanted mom. And he's been coming in multiple times at all hours of the night needing her. And she's just been rolling with it and taking care of him, but still getting up and going to do her job and, you know, all that. And now my other son's getting sick and she's taking care of him. And, like, she's doing all that so I get to be here to do this. Like, and she's just a trooper, guys. Like, she's awesome. I just need to, need to give her some props. Babe, I love you. I'm proud to be your husband. Yes. So, yeah, give it up for her. That's awesome. Um, I know you all have seen this and you're probably very interested in what this is. Last week I talked about being a bringer and I gave everyone little Hershey kiss and, um, I saw this on Tuesday this week. I'm like, man, why couldn't I have seen this a week ago? You know, like, I'm like, this would have been perfect for my message, but I saw it and I just had to get it. And so like, uh, I'm going to do this right now. And this person isn't going to like this, but Kim, come up here, please. Come on. Kim, come up here. Yeah. Give it up for Kim as she comes. Come on. Stand right here for me. Kim, I mentioned you last week about how you are a bringer, and I just wanted to give you this to say thank you for being a bringer. I mean, it's, it, it, it's a real thing. It's 12 ounces of Hershey's chocolate. Uh, I dare you to eat it all in one sitting. Um, <laughs> um, that's the youth pastor and me coming out. Hang on, hang on. Um, Kim, I truly believe that you have affected probably hundreds of kids because you decided to bring one person to the Lord. Like, right? Like, I mean, the amount of people that she affects is a direct correlation to you being a bringer. So thank you. Thank you for being a bringer. We love you. Love that that's your heart. So give it up for Kim, guys. You can go have a seat. She's done being embarrassed. Today we are jumping back into Romans, but this is going to be our last, our last message in Romans until February because we got some other things going on. Um, but but it's, uh, it's going to be a good one, I think. The title of my message today is A Cautionary Tale. A Cautionary Tale. A Cautionary Tale is defined as a tale told in folklore to warn its listeners of a danger. Uh, basically, it's a story of something going wrong to teach people, like, what not to do. It's a story of, of like, like, you see this? This is a bad idea. Learn from this story. And typically, um, uh, cautionary tales are, are made up. They're, they're, again, folklore. But there are some cautionary tales, like, you can pull from real-life situations. But I want to tell you, I, I want to give you an example of a, a cautionary tale. It's a fake one, right? Aesop's Fables. We familiar with those? Aesop's fables could be con considered a cautionary tale. There's there's one uh, Aesop's fable that I think fits this perfectly. It's the ant and the grasshopper. If you don't know this this Aesop fable, I will read it to you really quickly. It says, one bright day in late autumn, a family of ants were bustling in the warm sunshine. 
drying out the grain they had stored up during the summer, when a starving grasshopper, his fiddle under his arm, came up and humbly begged for a bite to eat. What? cried the ants in surprise. Haven't you stored anything away for the winter? What in the world were you doing all last summer? I didn't have time to store up any food, whined the grasshopper. I was so busy making music that before I knew it, the summer was gone. The ants shrugged their shoulders in disgust. Making music were you, they cried. Very well, now dance. And they turned their backs on the grasshopper and went on with their work. Uh, in my opinion, this is a cautionary tale about procrastination, right? Like, like you see the grasshopper and ha- he was kind of lazy when he was supposed to be doing his work and like now he's like suffering the consequences. Don't do that, right? Cautionary tale. There's a time for work and a time for play. Like, you know, that, that's, that's a thing, right? Um, Here's the thing about, about cautionary tales. Sometimes they're jarring, and sometimes they go to an extreme to make a point, but a lot of times the point is, is caught. Well, this is, what, this is what I love about Scripture, too. I think Scripture serves as a ca- cautionary tale for us. Scripture serves as a cautionary tale of, for, for faith and life, things not to do sometimes in life, things not to do in your faith, in your relationship with God. And today's Scriptures that we're reading, I consider a cautionary tale. Uh, for us. When we're reading the scriptures today, uh, I want to encourage you, let this be an example of what not to do in life, what not to do in faith. Um, but before we dive into the scriptures today, let's pray. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, we love you. We thank you for this day. Um, even though it's cold, it's the day that you've made, and we're going to rejoice and be glad in it. And I just pray, God, today that, that your truth would pierce my heart that your truth would pierce my soul, that I would, I would um, grasp your truth today and I would learn to apply it to my life. God, that we as a body would grasp your truth and learn to apply it to our lives. We love you, God. We give you the glory. We submit to your ways today. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Amen. If you have a Bible, you can open it up or turn it on to Romans chapter 11. Romans chapter 11, we're going to start in verse 1. Um, Before I read the scriptures, though, I have to tell you what I tell you almost every week. When I preach, I always try to preach from a perspective of there and then. What does that mean, Pastor Ryan? It means um, for us to understand how the scriptures apply to our lives here and now, we first have to understand what it meant there and then. To understand the words of the Bible, I believe we have to understand the world of the Bible because the Bible was written to a completely different culture thousands and thousands of years ago. Their worldviews are different than our worldviews. So if we're going to understand the scriptures the way God intended us to, we have to understand the context of it. We have to understand what was going on in the world of the scriptures. So Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 1. So, so before, before I dive into that... Um, so up to this point, we've, we've heard Paul talk about the good news, and what the good news is, it's, it's uh, salvation, it's justification through faith and faith alone, right? You never have to, um, you never have to work to, to be saved. Like, God offers it freely. All you have to do is put your faith in him, and, and we've learned a lot of lessons about that, and um, recently, um, what we've gone over is, is Israel's rejection of the Messiah, Israel's rejection of Jesus, Israel's rejection of God's plan, and, and their unbelief, and, and, and how, um, like, just that whole thing has served as a cautionary tale. Well, um, it continues today in Romans chapter 11, starting in verse 1. 
I ask then, has God rejected his own people, the nation of Israel? Of course not. I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, and a member of the tribe of Benjamin. Paul immediately opens up chapter 11, um, answering the question of whether or not God has rejected the Israelite race. Of course not. I'm a Jew and I'm in. That's what Paul's saying. I, I'm a Jew and I am in. Again, this refutes any ideas that faith in Jesus has anything to do with race or nationality. Salvation is for everyone. Justification is for everyone. God's grace and mercy and love is for everyone. It doesn't matter, matter whether you're black, white, brown, yellow, purple, red, whatever. Like, if your faith is in Jesus, you will be saved. That, that's the point Paul is making here. That is the good news. Verse 2, no, God has not rejected his own people whom he chose from the very beginning. Do you realize what the scriptures say about this? Elijah the prophet complained to God about the people of Israel and said, Lord, they have killed your prophets and torn down your altars. I'm the only one left and now they're trying to kill me too. And do you remember God's reply? He said, no, I have 7,000 others who have never bowed to never bowed down to Baal. It is the same today for a few of the people of Israel have remained faithful because of God's grace, his undeserved kindness in choosing them. It's not unusual to feel like you're all alone in this faith thing sometimes. Like that, that's a normal thing to feel like, man, I'm the only one. I'm the only one at work or I'm the only one uh, in my family or I'm just, I'm the only one who, who is faithful to God. This this is encouraging to me that even Elijah, right, this, one of the spiritual giants of the Bible, one of the heroes of faith, he felt like he was all alone. It kind of communicates to me, man, this is a normal thing to feel like sometimes I'm in it alone. But God is comforting him, saying, like, even when you're isolated, know that there are others who are remaining faithful. You're not alone, even though it feels like it. There are others who continue to remain faithful, too. Verse 6, and since it is through God's kindness, then it is not by their good works. For in that case, God's grace would not be what it really is, free and undeserved. So this is the situation. Most of the people of Israel, I have not found, or... Most of the people of Israel have not found the favor of God they are looking for so earnestly. A few have, the ones God has chosen, but the hearts of the rest were hardened. Here's that hardened hearts thing again. I've, I addressed this a couple weeks ago, um, but I'll, I'll address it again. This, this idea of God hardening hearts, we see that and we think, oh man, God is like this. God is this tyrant. God is unjust. God, like, how is he going to harden people? So that doesn't sound like a God I want to serve. I'll say this, like I said last time, there's no occurrence in scripture where God has ever hardened anyone's heart who didn't, they didn't harden their own heart first. And, and this hardening of a heart has nothing to do with their eternal position with God. Again, back in chapter 9, God talked about hardening Pharaoh's heart. It was for his glory that he hardened Pharaoh's heart. That Pharaoh was hardening his own heart already. God just continued to harden it to, so his glory would be revealed. I believe the same thing is happening here. God is, not, God is not hardening a people's heart who haven't hardened their own heart first. And he's doing it so that his glory will be revealed. It has nothing to do with their eternal condition. It has everything to do with God's glory. Verse 8, as the, as the scriptures say, God has put them into a deep sleep. To this day, he has shut their eyes uh, so they do not see and closed their ears so they do not hear. Here, the Apostle Paul, he's quoting, 
He's quoting the Old Testament. He's quoting Deuteronomy chapter 29, verse 4, and he's quoting Isaiah chapter 29, verse 10. God called his shot. Remember, I said this, I think, a couple weeks ago. God called his shot. He said, this is going to happen, and the Israelites still missed it. And there are multiple occurrences in the Old Testament where God called his shot, and, and Israel didn't learn. They didn't learn from the prediction. They didn't learn from, from the Lord himself. It's frustrating. They still missed it. Verse 9, likewise, David said, let their bountiful table become a snare, a trap that makes them think all is well. Let their blessings cause them to stumble and let them get what they deserve. Let their eyes go blind so they cannot see. Let their backs be bent forever. Did God's people stumble and fall beyond recovery? Of course not. They were disobedient, so God made salvation available to the Gentiles, but he wanted his own people to become jealous and claim it for themselves. Now if the Gentiles were enriched because the people of Israel turned down God's offer of salvation, think how much greater a blessing the world will share when they finally accept it. If you ever have heard of Christians who were really interested in like Israel, the state of Israel, um, uh, Israel's condition, like if you've ever heard of that, like, oh, I pray for Israel every day. If you ever heard of that, that that's why. Because how much more will the world be blessed when Israel, the people that God chose first, how much more will the world be blessed when they finally accept God's offer of salvation? This is why so many Christians are interested in the health and success of Israel as a nation. There's, there's going to be something special that happens when, when Israel finally accepts God's offer through Jesus. Verse 13, I'm saying all this especially for you Gentiles. God has point, appointed me as the apostle to the Gentiles. I stress this, for I want somehow to make the people of Israel jealous of what you Gentiles have, so I might save some of them. If not explained, this sounds like the Apostle Paul thinks that he saves people from their sins, right? But that's not what he's saying at all. Um, what he's saying, like he understands that Jesus does that, but what he's saying is by obeying God, he gets to participate in the work of God, and it's the same for us. When we obey God, we get to participate in his kingdom work. And this is really encouraging for me to hear. This is really encouraging to, to know that I can have an impact on the kingdom of God. I get to have an impact. You get to have an impact on the kingdom of God when you're obedient to the things that God has for you. Long stretch here. Stick with me. Verse 15, for since their rejection meant that God offered salvation to the rest of the world, their acceptance will be even more wonderful. It will be life for those who were dead. And since Abraham and the other patriarchs were holy, their descendants will also be holy, just as the entire batch of dough is holy because the portion given as an offering is holy. For if the roots of the tree are holy, the branch will be too. But some of these branches from Abraham's tree, some of the people of Israel, have been broken off. And you Gentiles who were branches from a wild olive tree have been grafted in. So now you also receive the blessing God has promised Abraham and his children, sharing in the rich nourishment from the roots of God's special olive tree. But you must not brag about being grafted in to replace the branches that were broken off. You are just a branch. You are not the root. Well, you may say, those branches were broken off to make room for me. Yes, but remember, those branches were broken off because they didn't believe in Christ, and you are there because you do believe. So don't think highly of yourself, but fear what could happen. 
For if God did not spare the original branches, he won't spare you either. Notice how God is both kind and severe. He is severe towards those who disobeyed, but kind to you if you continue to trust in his kindness. But if you stop trusting, you also will be cut off. There are Christians who believe in the idea that's explained once saved, always saved. This, this idea that once you put your faith and trust in Jesus, it's an automatic stamp that can never be taken away, no matter what happens. Um, that's the premise of that idea, that, that once you're saved by the grace of God, you can never lose this salvation, no matter what. Um, well, I believe what the Apostle Paul just said, like, debunks that completely. There's not a place that you can arrive in your faith where you have an automatic stamp and you're always in no matter what. There's, he just says it. If you stop trusting, you also will be cut off. I've said this uh, before, that God is a perfect gentleman and he'll never force you to believe in him. He'll never force you to stay in a relationship with him. If you want to walk away, you fully have that right to but there are consequences, right? Um, I, I see this, this is glaring to me in Genesis chapter 4. Um, there's an example of this. Cain, the son of Adam and Eve. Cain kills his brother Abel, and God confronts him about it and punishes him. He says, you know what? You're a farmer, and because you killed your brother, nothing you do, no work you do will ever produce good fruit. It'll never produce good fruit. That's your punishment. And Cain didn't like that punishment, um, and, and this is what it says in Genesis chapter 4, verse 16. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Cain left the Lord's presence. God's punishment for Cain had nothing to do with his position with him. It had nothing to do with his relationship. God didn't send Cain away. Cain chose to leave the presence of God. Just because we're in right now doesn't mean we will always be in. If you stop trusting, you too will be cut off. This is sobering stuff for me. I hope it is for you too. Um, verse 23, and if the people of Israel turn from their unbelief, they will be grafted in again. For God has the power to graft them back into the tree. That's redemption, right? Redemption. They, they, they choose not to believe, they're cut off. But if they... If they get rid of their unbelief, then they're back in. I mean, that's the power of the grace of God. You by nature were a branch cut from a wild olive tree. So if God was willing to do something contrary to nature by grafting you into his cultivated tree, he will be far more eager to graft the original branches back into the tree where they belong. So this portion of scripture, these 25 verses, they're so, so loaded. It's so rich with so many different principles. And I don't have time to get into all the like, details and principles and things that the Apostle Paul is talking about today. But ultimately, I think this is a cautionary tale for us. It should be. The good news of salvation, the good news of justification is that it comes by faith and faith alone. The cautionary tale, though, is that, that if we stop trusting, we're going to be cut off. Just because we put our faith and trust in God at some point doesn't mean that we're eternally secure. We have to put our faith and trust in him daily because according to this passage, this, this might be hard for some to hear. According to this passage, salvation is conditional. It is. Salvation is conditional based on our trusting him. 
If we fail to continue to trust, if we stop trusting, we will be cut off. Our trust has to remain in him. Now, that's really easy for me to say. Your trust has to remain in him. But what does that mean? How do we do that? How does our trust remain in it? How, more than that, how do we grow our trust in God? Because this is what I believe. I believe our trust in God is just like our trust in any other relationship. It has to grow. We, we, have, to, we have to know that someone's trustworthy before we trust them 100%, right? I, I don't think, I don't know that, that it's, I'm trying to think of how to say this. I don't know that it's, Typical, I'll say it that way. I don't know, don't know that it's typical for you to trust somebody 100% when you first meet them, right? You're always going to have some kind of like barrier up until you get to know them and that kind of thing. I think it's the same thing with God. Like we have to get to know him to know that he's trustworthy. So that means that we have to be able to grow in our, our trust. We have to grow in that faith, Right? But how? How do we do that? That's, again, that's an easy thing to say. Our trust has to remain in him. We have to grow in our trust. How do we do that? How do we grow in our trust? And that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about five ways, five ways that I believe that we can begin to grow our trust in the Lord. The first way is this. Let go of your ideas of how things should happen. Let go of your ideas of how things should happen. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Let go of your ideas of how things should happen. To put it another way, stop trying to control everything. Stop trying to control everything. That... When we constantly are trying to control things that aren't necessarily in our control, that communicates mistrust. It communicates mistrust with those around us. It ultimately communicates that we don't trust God to take care of us. When you're constantly trying to control the the behavior of your family, it means you don't trust them to make the right choices. When you're constantly trying to control outcomes at work, it means you don't trust your coworkers. When you're trying to control Things within your faith, it means you don't trust God. Stop trying to control everything. Let go of your ideas of how things should happen. When I was a kid, uh, when I was a kid, when I was a teenager, when I was a young adult, one of my biggest dreams was to be married. I wanted a family. Uh, I didn't have a dad growing up, and um, like, I mean, he left when I was two, and I basically never had a relationship with him. And so as, for as long as I could remember, like, I always wanted to have a family so that I could be a dad. Like, I just, that's what I wanted. And so this was a huge dream of mine. And I remember, like, I did everything I could to try to see this dream come true. And, and that's not a bad dream, right? It's not a bad dream to want to be a husband and a father. That's a good thing. But this dream was my identity, my, this dream was like my motivation for life, and I didn't trust God with my dream. And, and I was holding on to it so tightly that, that God couldn't do what he needed to do, wanted to do in me. And it wasn't until like I laid that dream down at his feet and said, God, you can do whatever you want. God, you can have your way. It wasn't until I died to that dream and said, God, you first. It wasn't until then that, that like... I saw that dream come true. 
I stopped, I stopped trying to, to control things. I, I, I let go of my idea of how that thing should happen in my life, and I started to trust God. That's one, that's one way that we can begin to grow our trust in the Lord. Let go of your idea of, of how things should happen. The next way we can grow our trust in the Lord is this. Pray to him even when you're having doubts. Pray to him even when you're having doubts. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 through 18 say this. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. We are human. We're human. And doubts come up. They do. And in my opinion, um, if you have never had doubts about God, I'm just, I'm going to keep it real right now, okay? In my opinion, this is my opinion. Let me say that again. My opinion. If, you've, if you say you've never had doubts about God, you're either not being completely truthful or your relationship with God is not active. It is completely human to have doubts about the ways of God because his ways are higher than our ways. His, like, he's bigger and, and better than us. We don't fully comprehend the things of God. And so it's, it's normal to have doubts. Like that's a, that's a normal thing. But our inclination as human beings is to shy away when we have doubts. Our inclination is to keep at an arm's distance when, when things, when, we, when we're having doubts, when we're unsure. And, and that's the exact opposite response that we should have. That's the exact opposite response that God desires. God's not afraid of our doubts. He's not afraid of our questions. He embraces them. We need to start running to God with our questions instead of running away from him with our doubts. Psalms chapter 142 verses 1 and 2 say this, I cry to the Lord, I cry out to the Lord, I plead for the Lord's mercy. I pour out my complaints before him and tell him all my troubles. This is part of a psalm that uh, David wrote when he was going through some of the most tumultuous times in his life. But his response wasn't to complain, about, uh, complain to himself about God. His response was to complain about life to God. Like he ran to God with his complaints. He ran to God with his questions. He ran to God with his doubts. This should be our response. God is not afraid of our doubts. He's not afraid of our questions. He embraces them. So how do we grow in our trust in the Lord? Letting go, of the, letting go of our ideas of how things should happen and praying when you're having doubts. The next, thing, the next thing we can do to grow our trust in the Lord is this. Listen to the testimonies of other believers. Listen to the testimonies of other believers. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 says this, and they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. That him is, is the enemy. It's, it's the evil one, right? But to me, this scripture speaks to the power of a testimony. We overcome the enemy by the blood of Jesus and the word of our testimony. Your story is powerful. My story is powerful because it spurs, it spurs each other on in, in faith. It spurs each other on in hope. Hearing how God saved other people, how he rescued them, it deepens my trust in him and it strengthens my relationship with him. It helps me to continue to believe that he is trustworthy. This is one of the reasons I encourage us to, to listen to each other's stories. Every time I, I, I meet somebody and I get to sit down with them one-on-one, -on -one, every time I try to ask them, what's your story? Not only because I, I like... 
I think it's important to like know somebody's story to get to know them, but it helps strengthen my faith in the Lord to hear somebody's God story, to hear how God rescued somebody, to hear all the different ways that God can come through. It helps me. It, it strengthens me. It gives me hope. It, can, it helps me to keep going. That's why I always, I always want us to be a, a body that is interested in each other's stories, not just because it communicates like, like I'm interested in you and you, you know, I value you, but like it, it also builds up me. It also builds us up personally. Listen to the testimony of other believers. So we grow in our trust in God by letting go of our ideas of how things should happen, by praying even when we're having doubts, by listening to the testimony of other believers. The next thing we can do to grow our trust in God is this. Be thankful to God for everything he's done. Be thankful to God for everything he's done. Psalm chapter 28 verse 7 says this, The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts and I am helped. My heart exalts and with my song I give thanks to him. Gratitude is one of the best ways to grow in trust. Because when we're we're thankful, we're content. And when we're thankful, we're at peace. And, And peace is the result of trust. It is. Peace is a result of trust. I was taught that when I'm having a hard time in, in my relationship with the Lord, when I'm having a doubts or, or, you know, when I'm just struggling, that I just need to start, I just need to take a moment and start thanking God for anything I can think of. Even if it seems silly, God, thank you so much for my shoes. That seems silly. God, thank you so much for my shoes. There are people who don't even have one pair. I have a closet full of shoes. Thank you, God. God, thank you that I have a bed to sleep in. That seems silly. God, thank you. God, thank you for the food that I get to eat every single day. When, when Robin and I, when we pray with our boys every day, every single day we pray for that. God, thank you for the food we eat, the clothes we wear, the beds we sleep in. Because I want to cultivate gratitude in my kids. Because gratitude leads to trust. Gratitude produces trust. I always want my kids to be able to trust that God is going to provide, so I try to teach them to be thankful for everything that he's given them. Be thankful for, to God for everything he's done. Letting go of our ideas of how things should happen. Praying even when we're having doubts. Listening to the testimony of other believers. Being thankful for everything he's done. This is how we grow in, in our trust in, in God. The last thing I want to talk about today is this. Strive to see things through his eternal perspective. Strive to see things through his eternal perspective. 2 Corinthians um, chapter 4, verse 16 and 17 say this, Therefore we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. When we can look outside of our own circumstances and we can see the bigger picture, trusting God becomes a lot easier. When we can look outside of our own situations, our own, again, life circumstances, and see like that, that the victory is God's, and when we're on God's side, we win too, like, it's really, it, beca- it becomes really easy to start trusting God more and more. Seeing things through his eternal perspective will grow our trust in the Lord. It would have been really easy for us as the Martinez family to say no to this. It would have been really easy. 
we're not from here. We don't have family here. We don't have friends here. It would have been really easy to stay in Nebraska. It would have been really easy to say yes to some job there. But as a, as a couple, Robin and I, as a family, we, we, try, we strive to see things not through our lens of life, not through our lens of comfort, but to see things through God's eternal perspective. God, how can we affect your kingdom the most? Do that. We, we want to do that. And God let us here, and we said yes. And we're, we're so glad we did because this is not about us. It's not about our comfort. It's, this is not about me, right? It's not about, this is about God and his kingdom and his glory. Like, and when we have that eternal perspective, it makes it really easy to start trusting God more and more. When we take our eyes off ourselves and we start putting our eyes on him, it's easier to begin trusting God more. Worship team, you can come to the platform. So we grow our trust in the Lord by letting go of our own ideas of how things should happen, by praying even when we're having doubts, by listening to the testimony of other believers, by being thankful for everything God's done, and by striving to see things through his eternal perspective. The, the story of Israel should serve as a cautionary tale for us. Um, they thought they had their ticket stamped. They thought they were in. They thought they were good. Um, and they didn't realize that they were cut off from God because they stopped trusting him. The good news is that we're made right in the sight of God by faith and faith alone. There's nothing you can do to earn it. There's nothing you can do to ever be good enough for it. God offers it freely. All we have to do is put our trust in him. Trust and belief. We don't, have to end up as, we don't have to end up like Israel as long as we continue to trust in him. Let me pray for you this morning. God, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you for your word. Um, God, thank you that, that you give us the opportunity to be right in your sight simply by, by learning to trust you more and more, simply by putting our faith in you. Thank you, God. I pray today, God, for anyone who might be struggling in this area of trusting you. I pray, God, that you would continue to reveal yourself as trustworthy to us. Continue to reveal yourself as trustworthy, God, because we need to know. We need to know that you're trustworthy. That you can be trusted. God, thank you. Thank you for this day. Thank you, God, for this, this church that, that you've brought us all together here in this place to be a body. Thank you for that. We love you, God. We give you glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Maybe, maybe you're here today and you don't understand this idea of trusting God because you've never trusted him before. You don't have a relationship with him. Um, you're trying to control things yourself and, and your faith is not in him at all. Well, today can be the day where you let all that go, where you receive the peace of the Holy Spirit, where you're comforted from, from the, the, the woes of trying to, to carry everything yourself. Today could be the day where all, everything changes for you and you say yes to Jesus. You start a relationship with him. You put your faith in him. You put your trust in him. 
and you're invited into his kingdom, today could be that day. If you've never put your trust in him, and, or, or maybe you did at one point and you walked away for whatever reason, today could be the day where you, where you come back. Today, today could be the day where you're grafted back in. If that's you today, I want to pray for you. I want to pray with you. And, and I'm going to ask you that at the count of three, if that's you, I want you to raise your hand so I can know who I'm praying with. There's nothing special about raising your hand, nothing magical. I just want to know who I'm praying with. Um, so this is what I need. All heads bowed, all eyes closed. Um, just a, a, a private moment. Um, I don't want to embarrass anybody. I don't want to call anybody out or anything like that. I just, I want this to be between you and the Lord right now. If that's you, you say, Pastor Ryan, I don't have a relationship with God, but I want one. Or God, I, or Pastor Ryan, I, I used to have a relationship with Jesus, and it's just, it hasn't been going well. I want to re recommit myself to it. If that's you right now, at the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. I want you to raise it high so I can know who I'm praying with. One, God loves you so very much. Two, it's time for you to come home to him right now three. If that's you right now, raise your hand high so I can know who I'm praying with. Raise it high. This is what I want to do right now. I want us to pray together. I want to invite everyone in the house to pray. Uh, whether you raised your hand or not, I, I don't, again, I don't want anyone to feel singled out or, or feel like I'm picking on anybody. So I want, I want to ask everyone to, to repeat this prayer after me. And, and whether you're in the house or you're online, I want to ask everybody to do it. So, so repeat after me. Say, Father God, today I admit that I've been trusting in myself. Today I admit that I've been doing things my own way. And I'm sorry, I need you to rescue me from my sin. Holy Spirit, come have your way in my life. I submit to you, help me to trust you more. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. 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 Can we give it up for those who prayed that prayer today? That's awesome. Awesome. Whether you're in the house and you prayed that prayer, or you're online and you prayed that prayer, um, we want to know because we want to put resources in your hands to get you started off strong, get you on the, out on the right foot. Um, so let us know. Let us know how, um, if you prayed that prayer. So um, what I want to do right now is I want to go into a time of communion. Today we're going to, we're going to, um, observe communion. So if you have your communion emblems, get them ready. Um, and, and we're going to, we're going to reflect today. Sorry. First Corinthians chapter 11, um, speaks about this, speaks about communion and kind of the purpose of it. And I want to read it right now. Verse 23, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink of the cup. And that's what this is about. It's about remembering. It's about remembering the sacrifice that Jesus made. It's about remembering the redemption that he bought us back from darkness into his kingdom. He adopted us as his sons and daughters. That's what this is about. It's about remembering that. But it's also pretty clear that it says whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and blood. So we ought to examine ourselves first. So this is what I want to do. I want us to take a moment and I want us to examine ourselves. If there's an area of your life where you're not right with the Lord, now's the time to get it right. Before we, before we start participating in, in communion, now's the time to, to repent before the Lord and make that right in your life. So we're going to just take a moment and, just, and just, um, just silently examine ourselves. Let's do that right now. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the bread right now together. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's partake of the cup together. I've said this before, and I'll probably continue to say this. I don't think it's by... It's, it's not. It's not by accident that, that Jesus linked remembering to an action. Remembering, knowing, isn't purely a mental activity. It's, it's physical as well. When we do this, we should remember the sacrifice that he made. We should remember who he is and our relation and, and, and who we are in relation to him. What I want to do right now is, is I want us to just take a few moments to just respond to the Spirit of God, whether that be just praying or whether it be singing or just sitting and, and meditating or letting the Lord speak to you, whatever, whatever it is. I just want us to take a few moments to respond, and then I'll come back up and I'll dismiss us. But um, if you want to stand, you can. If you want to sit, you can. That's totally fine. Um, but the worship team is going to lead us, and, and we're going to, just going to take a moment to respond. Uh, prayer team can, can come up if, if they're able. Uh, and, and, yeah, let's respond. Worship team, lead us. God, we want to trust you more and more. We love you, God. We give you all the glory. Thank you for this day, God. Thank you for your word. 
Let it root itself deep inside of us, God, that we, it may never leave us. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. Really quickly, um, before we, before we go, I want to give us a few next steps. These next steps are just tangible things we can do to take the message and apply it to our lives this week. So the first one is this week I'll memorize First Corinthians or First Thessalonians, excuse me. First, Th- First Thessalonians chapter five, verse sixteen through eighteen. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus second one is this week I will, I will remind myself to see things through God's eternal perspective. It's really easy when we get into the flow of everyday life, the flow of work, the flow of family, the flow of whatever. It's really easy to, to lose focus on, on his, his perspective. But, but my prayer is that this week you will, you will help the, or ask the Holy Spirit to help you be reminded of his eternal perspective. And then lastly, each day this week, I will take time to thank God for everything he's done for me. I want to say one last prayer and we can be dismissed. Thank you, God. Thank you for this word. Thank you for um, your blessings. And finally, may you go with confidence into the days ahead, trusting in God's unfailing love and faithfulness. God will not abandon you, for you are the work of his hands, his own creation, and his love endures forever. Go enjoy to love and serve the Lord. Amen. 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 Thanks for being here today, everybody. Thanks for worshiping with us. We will see you next Sunday. Have a great week.